We have been talking the last few weeks about uh, the little phrase, blessed to be a blessing, which it says on our welcome slide every week, and it's on our bulletin board, it's in our bulletin, it's on the header of our website, it's kind of a, a slogan or a motto that we sort of uh, endeavor to live by and, and walk in here at Portland Vineyard, and so I thought it would be good for us to take some time and dig into that a little bit and, and really just dissect what does that mean? What does it mean when we say we are blessed to be a blessing? Last week we talked about being blessed specifically, and we said that being blessed is a state of being that's conferred upon us by God. Uh, We kind of compared being blessed with being happy, and while there are some similarities between the two, there are also some differences between them. The differences are, um, one is being blessed cannot be earned. It's not contingent on our behavior uh, on how, how pious or righteous we are, or any other variable. Uh, it, it doesn't matter how good you are. Not that being good is a bad thing. Let me make sure we qualify that. Uh, being good is a good thing, but being good will not cause you to be blessed by God. You're blessed by God just because He says you are. Uh, it's also not self-generated. This is kind of where it differentiates from happiness a little bit. We talked about this. You can sort of decide to be happy, can't you? You can say, hey, you know what? My life's kind of hard right now, but I want to be happy anyway. And again, we said that's, that's a good decision. Being happy is better than being unhappy. Anybody agree? I think so. Um, but you can't decide to be blessed. You can't just say, I'm going to be blessed. Uh, because you're blessed because God says you're blessed. You can't make that choice. Sorry. Um, we also mentioned that blessing, being blessed comes with responsibility, and that takes us up to where we're going to start today. Real quickly, we will read the text in Genesis 12 again that this uh, little phrase comes from, and then we'll, we'll jump right into it. I will make you into a great nation. This is uh, God speaking to Abram. I will bless you. Yeah, I will bless you. He, God will bless him. It's not something that Abraham chose. God said, I'll bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. So I'll bless you, you'll be a blessing. There's that responsibility. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And then he concludes with this phrase, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And that really is um, a preemptory sort of look into the gospel. From Genesis 12 on, God gives us a glimpse of what his purpose and plan is for the world, and that's that everyone would come into this place of blessing and knowing Him. So Lord, we just lift this up to you this morning and ask you to come and anoint your word and cause it to penetrate our hearts today. Amen. So that's always been the plan. From the very beginning, it's been God's purpose, God's intention that uh, He would draw a people unto Himself and that they in turn then would bless others by drawing them into that same relationship that they share with God. That's never changed. That was God's purpose in the beginning. It's always been God's purpose. With Jesus coming, how that happens did change, but what God intended to happen did not change. In Galatians 3, Paul says this to the church. He's speaking to the church. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. That's us. The church has faith. Those people that have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. God announced ahead, Scripture foresaw in Genesis 12, 
that God would justify the Gentiles, that he would include everybody into his kingdom. And he announced the gospel in advance to Abram. All nations will be blessed through you, so that those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So God's intention all the way through the New Testament, through the church age and into our lives today, is that we would be used uh, by him, we would partner with him, and bringing his kingdom to others around us. And that's a big part of what we're about here at Portland Vineyard and how we want to live our lives. Um, that would include, he says here that's the, God announced the gospel in advance. So when we think of that, we think maybe of, of evangelism, of sharing our faith with other people. And this would absolutely include that. But it wouldn't end there. There's more to being that blessing to others than just sharing our faith with them. How many of you have ever, you can raise your hand, and if this has happened to you, be honest about it. Had someone share Jesus with you, whether you were a believer or not, you don't know, right? So sometimes people share their faith with somebody that's already a Christian, but have had that experience, but you didn't feel very loved in the process. Oh my goodness, more than a couple. That's happened to me, too. Uh, so here's, here's why I say that being a blessing is more than just sharing our faith. It's, it actually encompasses something a little larger than that. This is my own definition, but being a blessing is the call of God to exhibit self-sacrificial character as modeled by Jesus to all people at all times. So it's not just sharing our faith, it it includes sharing our faith, it's not just telling somebody, uh, you know, you're going to go to hell if you don't follow Jesus, it's modeling self-sacrificial love to them, regardless of who they are, where they come from, what their background is, or what their lifestyle is, amen? It's it's being Christ-like, it's It's sharing His heart, His love. It's engaging with people on a level that He might engage them with. As we read the Gospels, it's interesting to me who Jesus chooses to interact with and how He interacts with them. He doesn't make some of the same sort of uh, criteria, sort of decisions of, I'll talk to these guys. I like them. They're kind of nice. They're cute, too. These guys over here, they're a little questionable. I don't think I'll talk. No. Jesus says, hey, I love you guys the same as I love these guys. He doesn't care what your background is. And, you know, let me just... I'm going to go off script a little bit. (laughs) Kevin and I were talking the other day about this. Jesus said, go make disciples. And what's the goal of a Christian life is discipleship, right? What is a disciple? To me, the same definition of being a blessing is the definition of being a disciple. It's a call of God to exhibit self-sacrificial characters modeled by, modeled by Jesus to all people at all times. I really feel like the transformation that takes place in our lives as we grow by serving people is that we become more like Jesus. What's the goal? What, what's the end game for us in this life? I'm sorry, I'm going to tell you right now, it's not just to get to heaven. It really is to be more like Jesus. That's really the goal. That's, that's what we're here for. I, I want to be more like Jesus next week than I am this week. I hope, 
I'm a little more like Jesus today than I was 40 years ago when I first met him. That, that, that's the process that, that we want to be engaged in. And in my estimation, this idea of receiving from God, being blessed, that I might then be a blessing to others, is that process. It's one and the same thing. Um, we have a responsibility as, as believers, as people of faith, as peacemakers, as ambassadors of Christ, as ministers of reconciliation. We, we have a responsibility to allow others to know what we know and to share with them uh, the blessedness of being in relationship with God. Um, as I mentioned last week, or the week before, I think, the Israelites in the Old Testament following Abraham forward lost sight of that fairly frequently. They failed repeatedly at being a blessing to others. And what they did is sort of, they lost track of the purpose and kind of internalized and got a little bit self-focused. And it became about us. We're God's chosen. We're God's holy people. And so we need to stay chosen and stay holy. And we don't really want to interact with anybody else because if we do, it might kind of dirty up our chosen holiness. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Have you ever seen anything like that? Um, it's easy for us, it's easy for me, I'll just take my responsibility here, to, to criticize you know, the Israelites in the, the Old Testament, silly Israelites, they just did it all wrong. But the truth is, we're not that different than them. The truth is that that's human nature, isn't it? How long does it take us to get self-focused when we're not in communion with God all the time? It takes me about five minutes. You know? I mean, I can be, I've told you this before, worship, I, was, I was thinking about Tuck's uh, encouragement to worship freely this morning. That was good. Um, but, you know, in terms of safe place to do that, I'm not sure in your vehicle is necessarily a safe place to worship freely. I encourage worshiping in the car, but maybe not worshiping freely in the car. If you get completely captivated, you might end up in a bad situation. So my point was, I can be driving along, listening to some worship music. It's a glorious day and somebody cuts me off and man, I just lost all my salvation right out the window. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? It doesn't take very long. You know, here, here at PVC, we've talked about this in, I don't know how many, multiple, multiple leadership gatherings before, that it's our estimation that we have to keep that outward focus constantly in front of us. If it's not constantly in front of us, we really will, as a collective group, as a body, as a people, internalize and begin to focus inward very rapidly. You know, we've, Dave mentioned this morning, 1,000 hours. 1,000 hours is a campaign this summer where our, our goal is to, uh, to serve our community, to love the people around us in a four-week period of time for a total of 1,000 man-hours. You, you might look around you right now and go, that's not possible. Well, I... I'm going to be the first to admit it's a tall order. I, I think it's a lot, but I, don't, I do think it is possible. But here's the deal. The deal is this. I think it gives us a, a sustained, comprehensive opportunity to focus outward. And, and I believe that a transformation will take place in us as a people as we do that. That not only will we become a little more Christ-like, but our level of awareness 
of, of the world around us and what it means to be a blessing will change. And so that's the goal. I want to take a few minutes. Uh, well, I'll say the last thing before we get into the breaking down what it means to be a blessing is this. The, the little, you know, we said there's another little phrase we use in the vineyard. Um, everybody gets to play. Anybody ever heard that? Everybody gets to play. Wimber was a master at taking theology and just crunching it down into these little sayings. Um, And so what's happened over the years is that kind of has become a cute little saying. Everybody gets to play. But here's the thing. It's more than a cute little saying. It really is a theological truth. And it's a directive for Christian living. Everybody gets to play. Uh, If you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to be in the game you got to be in the game, right? If, you, if you're going to be a blessing, you got to be actively engaged in being a blessing. Everybody is involved. No, no one gets a pass. We've uh, kind of defined being a blessing in three ways. We're going to just look at the first one today, and then we'll pick up and look at the next two next week. But we've said that what does it mean to be a blessing? What does it look like for us here at PVC? It means loving our neighbors, caring for those in need, and taking the good news to other people. So I just want to talk for a minute about loving our neighbors. And this is directly kind of related to a thousand hours and what we're going to do this summer, but it's more than that. Uh, Loving our neighbors is, of course, a biblical directive, right? It's a biblical directive. Uh, the, The idea of loving your neighbor came from who? Who said VeggieTales? You, you are you take, stand in the corner with your nose against the wall. I love VeggieTales are good. Now, Jesus said it first. Teacher, these are um, people in the religious community questioning Jesus. Their intent was to try to trip him up. They, they, they want to catch him. And they give him a question that has no right answer. What is the greatest commandment in the law? It has no right answer because obviously there are ten commandments. The ten commandments all have equal weight, equal value. They're all important, right? You can't say one is more important than the other or you're wrong. Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's right. Because those two commandments really do summarize all ten. You can't do the ten commandments without doing those two things. If you do those two things, you will ultimately fulfill the ten commandments. First four are dealing with our relationship with God and how we love Him with all our heart, mind, and soul. And the the following six are then how we interact with other people. You love the Lord your God and you love other people and you'll fulfill the ten commandments. So, boom, He nailed them. It's also, uh, you know, I've had about six shots of espresso this morning, so maybe eight, actually, I think, is to be accurate. Um, I think it's worth mentioning that they asked him, which is the greatest singular answer, and he gives them this dual answer, the two that are the greatest, and the reason there is that the two are intertwined. You can't do one without the other. In the mind and the heart of God, you cannot love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul without loving your neighbor as yourself. Part of loving God is loving your neighbor. We'll look at it next week. But 
Another thing that Jesus said before VeggieTales was, when you do it unto the least of these, you do it what? Unto me. We love God by loving others. So the two are connected. Uh, we, we know that uh, scripturally, and again, I'll, I'll talk about this in a couple weeks, I think, uh, what it means to, the uh, definition of a neighbor. Who's my neighbor? And we know that that's broader than probably, scripturally broader than we would generally think. And, and that's, I alluded to that a little bit earlier this morning in terms of people in life, being able to love them as a neighbor regardless of kind of their background and who they are is, I believe, vital to the success of seeing God's kingdom move in the world today. I'd get off script a little more, but I read this, uh, Cindy sent me this letter that a small church pastor wrote to Franklin Graham, and he hit on a number of topics. But one of them was, and you've, you've read about this, it was here in Portland, a couple that owns a bakery and they wouldn't bake a cake for a gay couple for their wedding. Because they disagreed with them. And my question is, if two people came to you that were of different faiths, would you bake them a cake? If two people came to you that were living together before they got married, would you bake them a cake? If two people came to you and one of them had been divorced before but they were getting married, would you bake them a cake? And my question is, how do you determine who God loves and who doesn't? God doesn't. And at what point do you draw that line? And who made you the one that says, this is who I'm going to bless and this is who I'm not going to bless. I just think it's imperative as the people of God today that we learn to love our neighbor. Do we have to agree with them? Well, I don't agree with most of you guys most of the time. I still love you though. Right? Isn't that the truth? We don't have to agree with them to love them. Um, I don't even know what I should do right now. Um, I'll just summarize and say that my heart, and and I believe the heart of of this congregation is to love our neighbors and and to extend the mercy and the grace of God that was extended to us. And again, I'll take responsibility. I don't know about you guys, but I can say for my life, I probably wasn't the most upstanding citizen when God met me. So if you think that you're a little bit better than the next guy, my recommendation would be to think again. And I'm not trying to be critical of anybody. I'm just saying our heart's desire really is to love people. And this summer, as we endeavor to go into our community and love people, I'm fairly confident we're going to run into some people that we don't agree with. And they may have a different value system than us. And I, I hope that what we do in that situation is to actually um, um, exhibit the self-sacrificial character as modeled by Jesus to all people at all times and to love our neighbor. Let's stand.